ecclesia was not just people, but the format in which God collected the people. The word ecclesia means a called out. But they are called out to something. They're not called out to nothing. So the ecclesian, got a little snapping going on there. He's working on it. The ecclesian, ecclesia, actually does mean church. It's the collection of the people and then the format in which God has collected those people for a certain reason. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just ask you now that as we give this word this morning, that you'll encourage our hearts, that we'll, we'll realize a thing and shun that, Lord, and turn to exactly what you have purposed. God, for your word is right every time. And Lord, and we respect your word and, and we preach your word this morning, God, believing that you're going to touch your people in this congregation of Ecclesia. In Jesus' name, amen. Church pandemic. I want to talk about a church pandemic. And then if we can get through that, we're going to go on to uh, some good things. So we, we're going to travel down maybe a little bit of a bumpy road because I think it can affect every single one of us, including me. But there's a pandemic that's been loosed on the church, and it's called individualism. If you take individualism in sort of a political social meaning, we're kind of proud of being individuals. I make my own way. I do my own thing. The government doesn't need to help me. I'm sort of this individual. But in that, it's a two-edged sword because individualism may be good in one direction, but in another direction, it's a destructive force to the cohesiveness of the human existence everywhere. In other words, it filters into all of our way of life, and it is pandemic. We can talk about the pandemic of sickness that has hit the world. And really, there's a spiritual pandemic that's hit the church that we need to deal with. It's called individualism. But look at what it's done. If we looked at all the sectors of life, and let's just view that just a little bit, it's completely ruined our political system. Individualism has ruined our political system. We found out again, after another vote and after just a short while again, we found out again that they cannot be trusted to represent the good of the people. They'll give you a slogan, they'll give you a call word and what they're going to do, and as sure as they get in there, they will not do that. They will do something different. They're going to do what serves their own interest. There may be a few people, there may be some, not very many, 
that are really going to serve the people in the interest of the people, but most of them are going to serve their own interest. And it kind of goes like this. The senators and the congressmen have been voted in place to pass laws that are good for the nation and good for the people are going to pass laws in what they have interest in. In other words, if they've invested into oil, guess what? They're going to pass laws that are going to help the oil industry. And we have the reverse flip of that going on right now. Those that have invested into clean energy and come to find out those boogers actually have companies and have invested in stock and in all the clean stuff and are passing the laws as such. And why are they doing that? Because they're helping America. No, they're doing that because of their own interest. I mean, we found this out years ago with Al Gore. Boy, they started the, the, the carbon footprint. Remember that? Everybody's got a carbon footprint. All, a business has a carbon footprint. All the companies, all the corporations, everybody's got a carbon footprint. And, and they're going around the country preaching that and preaching that and preaching that, only to find out that Al Gore started a company that would take care of your carbon footprint for a certain amount of money. So if senators and congressmen are invested in weapons companies, guess what they're after? They're after promoting war. You think, well, that doesn't go on that way. You know, we just do what's best. No, 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 you don't understand the system. Because of individualism, hey, this is my chance. It's my opportunity. I've earned it. I've got here. Now it's time for me to make my money and make my thing. And, and while others, you know, they're just going to have to go on and suffer and do what they do, this is my chance and it's my opportunity. And so we saw Senator, the majority leader, Mitch McConnell, who I watched him without finding out the facts again about the Capitol breach, stood and, and refudiated any truth that was to come to him because he's connected with the Chinese trade and he wanted for all his heart to get rid of Trump for good. Now, I'm not preaching politically this morning. I'm preaching about individualism. And the reason why I want him gone is because my family is in the Chinese trade. Made millions and millions of dollars in shipping and and in Chinese trade and crooked things. And so, patriotism is all but dead in government. Say, there may be a few, but individualism has taken over. Can you say amen? Nowhere can we see a better picture of individualism than in the field of sports. I love sports, and we were kids, and we, we played, we just, you know, and then we'd get on a team. And we were raw, raw team. I mean, it was like, our team's going to win. Our school is going to win. And boy, we represented them well. And we did everything we played. When I was a kid, they played the alma mater at high schools. Anybody remember your old alma mater? Hey, Elta Anderson High School or, or whatever school you went to. And, and boy, it was all about being not patriotic, but being, you know, connected to your school. And it was just really, really, you felt it. You felt like, boy, this is my school and we're going to beat that school, you know, and it was just all this pride. And now it's individualism. I just heard the other day, I'm, I'm setting a foundation for you. I hope you don't get discouraged yet. Um, 
I heard the other day that one of the leading young men in the whole nation in football, one of the leading uh, um, talents that, that, that's going to be, you know, colleges are going to try and grab him up, that he decided that this year he's going to be a senior, that he's not going to play because he's going to get ready for college. What in the world? That's nothing but individualism. So it's taught in the sports arena that you start in high school and, and man, you know, your team, you don't care too much about them, but you're trying to make a name for yourself. If you can make a name for yourself, then the colleges are going to look at you. That's all about individualism. Then when you get in college, man, it goes to another level because now I see the money coming on and the pros are out there and, and there's money to make. And now uh, what we used to cheer for, some of you went to colleges and, and you remember all those times and, and how you felt about that. And, but now it's all about individualism and how many touchdowns I can score and how much I can run, how many blocks I can make, how many things I can do and, and the greatness of how I am and who I am. And then we completely have lost all togetherness in the pros. You have pro people who have no care or agenda that even concerns the team they're playing for. They're there for money. They're there for individualism. And that's what they are about. I've got to the place I will not watch pro games. I just can't stand it anymore. And so they've taken the pro venue and turned that into a place where they can talk about their self and their feelings and their ideas and make their money and go to another team and make more money. It's all about individualism. Individualism demolishes families, homes, and marriages. You will never have a successful marriage by being two individuals. In fact, Jesus said, the two shall become one. And an individual in a family, he's willing to walk out. She's willing to walk out. Kids are willing to walk out over the slightest uncomfortable issue that may arrive, just the smallest confrontation. I'm packing my bags and I'm getting out of here because of my individualism. I'm not going to put myself down for the better of the family. But let me tell you this morning, no real man or woman walks away from a marriage and their kids. Somebody say amen. That's nothing but individualism. I want to be who I am. In fact, you're holding me down from being who I want to be. Individualism will never work in a home. It'll never work around kids. And worst of all, individualism has hit the Christian church with a full fury. My position, my talents, my opinions, my feelings has hit the church. And it didn't hit it yesterday. This thing's been going on for quite a while. And I guess maybe a lot of it started when pastors kind of, kind of set the agenda on that. They're always looking for a bigger church, a better paying church, with more clout and more success, more promotion where pastors are at. They may be pastoring one church 
And as soon as another church comes open that looks like it's better, looks like there's more money there, it looks like it's going to be a better retirement for them, they're going to jump from here and they're going to go there and they're going to stay there a while and look for something else. And pastors have set the trend that says individualism in the church, but individualism in the church is not right. It's not godly. It's not holy. It really destroys the fabric of a church. And across our nation, men are rising up to exalt their self. It's all about their television program. It's all about many guys are on YouTube to see how much following they can get. How many are listening to me? And I don't care if anybody's listening on the outside of this building this morning. We've got something to say that individualism in the church has got to stop. Individualism has got to come to a place where it will submit to the greater, to what's good for the congregation and not what's good for the person. Can you say amen? And I would say this, this morning, that men that would exalt themselves, men that would look for opportunity elsewhere to promote their own self, their own ministries, their own thing. Where are the pioneers? Where are the pioneers that are going to risk a little something to establish a church? Where are the men that say, I'm going to lay down my idea and my thing and, and put away my individualism so that God can use me just to start something that may bring glory to him? Maybe it'll take 25 years of struggle and hard work to establish even a small group. But if, if God is in it, if God is in it, then great success is there. And where are the pastors who will pass up their own financial prosperity in order that the church may be fiscally sound? Come on, somebody say amen. Where are those men at? Because it's blown up into individualism and it's about what I can get and what I can do and songs are written about it and theories are written about it. One song says I've come to church to get my stuff. You don't have any stuff here. It doesn't belong to you. The thing that's here is the group of the body of Jesus Christ and that is greater than the individual. Can you say amen? And preachers are a dime a dozen. They're bought and sold every day. And I know them, some of them. They're bought. Because the individual says, no, I want to do it for me. I've, I've got a chance. I've got an opportunity, just like the sports person, just like the political person. I have an opportunity to advance myself. In fact, I even have even heard the term by some that this church is just a stepping stone for me to get where I'm going. And I say Ichabod to that. I just, I don't know what else to say, but just Ichabod, blasphemy. God's church should never be treated that way. Can you say amen? God's church is a holy thing, a righteous thing, a good thing. Individualism. The principle of being independent and self-reliant. And like I said, again, that may work in some sectors of life to help us not just be reliant upon a government. But when it comes to the things of God, I want to let you know this morning, you are totally reliant upon him. Totally. 
reliant upon God. Let me talk about some of the negative characteristics and what it produces in us. Nobody is exempt because we are all tested and tempted with these very things. But it doesn't sound good. It, 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 it sounds awful. But here are some of the negative characteristics about individualism. Self-promotion. Doing what's good for yourself rather than what's good for the whole. Self-promotion. God never uses self-promotion. God anoints, he calls, he selects, he positions, but he never does use self-promotion in the church. Men use it to get to higher places. Men use it to exalt their self. But God never does use self-promotion. One of the negative characteristics of individualism, the failure to totally commit to a crew, a team, a group, or a church body. It's a, it's a failure for us when we cannot connect, when we cannot invest, when we cannot commit, because the problem is we're individual, and our individuality teaches us that you don't need to submit to the greater. Just be who you are. Just be an individual. Self-sufficient in every decision without outside input. That's individualism. The design of God is not that way. And then you run into trust issues. And I said this a little bit back. I was down there in prayer, and the Lord said to me, you've got some trust issues that you need to work on in your life. Because trust issues, I'm talking about individualism, and it's running free in the church. Trust issues will cause you to doubt what is happening in the church. It will cause you to doubt the intentions of your spiritual leaders. It will cause you to doubt even what is being preached, what is being said, what is being done. And it gives you the right and maintains the right to disagree and sometimes even openly. This is individualism. You don't have to agree with everything. You don't have to see everything exactly the way somebody says it is. But I'll tell you this. Don't maintain the right to disagree openly with what's going on in the house of God. And somebody say amen to that. The trust issues that are involved with individualism causes you to refuse to submit to anyone or anything even the holy writ of God. And I say this morning, it's pandemic. It's going on everywhere. I just want to give you two examples of, of some things that I've run against in pastoring. I've had a lot of issues, but there are two examples of, that came to my mind when I began to think about this. We think about the destruction that individualism does to us. A man came to me and had a problem in the family. Said, I don't know. My wife is out of control. I don't know what to do. Will you help me? Will you pray with me? I just don't know. And, and so I was, I was in prayer about it. In fact, I was traveling. The Lord spoke these words to me. He said, ask him if she ever says this. No one's going to tell me what to do. I said, okay, Lord. 
The Spirit of the Lord said to me, she's entertaining a spirit. It was an individualism spirit. I went back to the man and I said, this is what the Lord told me in prayer. And, 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 and so I'm going to ask you, does your wife ever say nobody's going to tell me what to do? He said, Pastor, she says it all the time. The problem is with that spirit, all you're going to do is go into confusion. And to this day, that person is in total spiritual confusion. Not to say that anybody around here can fix everybody, but, but the Word of God is written and set up in such a way that there is certain protocol that God has and protections that God has. And, and when we get to the place that we're an individual and we won't hear and we won't listen, and I'm going to do it my way no matter what everybody does, no matter where ministry is and pastors and even the Word of God, I see it my way and I'm going to do it my way. You stay in spiritual confusion is what the problem is. You're always confused, never knowing the real Word of God in your life. Another man told me one time, and and I believe him. It has bore out in his life, and to this day he is spiritually confused. He told me this about church and about ministry. He said, I do not believe that one man has the right to tell another man what to do. Well, the problem with that is nobody was trying to dictate his life or run his life, but the problem with that is individualism. I'm going to do what I want to do regardless what anybody else thinks, regardless what anybody else says and the Word of God says, I'm going to do what I want to do. And it's a pitiful thing because the plight there, you end up confused and not knowing what direction to go up one day, down another, in and out, and God's got a better thing than that can the church say amen the Pentecostal movement the Pentecostal movement has been 100 years training people to be individuals I almost just hate to say I don't want to put my hand upon things you know like I'm I'm the big so and so and I can point everything out but, but being raised in Pentecostalism it kind of goes like this is that if we can get you down to the Holy Ghost and to speaking in tongues, then really, you hear from God yourself. And if I hear from God myself, I really don't need anybody else and their input. And I become an individual in what I call a Holy Ghost experience. Let me tell you this. I preached about this last Sunday. If you get the Spirit of Christ, what will come over you is the attributes of Christ. What won't come over you is individualism and, and more humanistic ideas. But what will come in your life is that you will begin to yield to what the Spirit of Christ wants in your life. And Pentecostalism have talked about, they've talked about power and they've talked about healing and, and prophecy and speaking in tongues, but do not want to talk about a melted heart. Don't want to talk about what God is going to do in your life by the infilling of His Spirit. And He's going to take you down from who you think you are and He's going to bring you lower than what you wanted to be and humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that in due time, then He can begin to lift you up and raise you up. This is the word of God I almost feel sometimes when I've heard over the years so many times I've heard God told me and I almost feel like God in Genesis 3 when he went to Adam and Eve and, and they begin to say some things and God turned to them and said who told you that 
Who told you that? Well, I got it. No, no. Who told you that? Individualism will guide your life, but individualism is an antithesis to Christianity. I'm going to make my way. Bless God. I just read the other day in, in the book of Romans, and, and, and this started to, to work in my heart. I might preach about this too. Paul said if salvation is about earning, then God is our debtor. If I can do something to earn salvation, then he owes me. But salvation does not come by works, thank God. Salvation does not come by what I can do, what I, can, what I think I am. Salvation comes by the power of Jesus Christ, faith in him alone. And then when he gets in our life and in our heart, he begins to change those things that are individualist, those things, those ideas in our life that, that seem to run us and the Spirit of God gets in there. And it's not because we've earned a thing or done a thing, but it's because of the power of the change of Jesus Christ. I love that scripture. Let me quote it again. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. One of the old things in our life is individualism. One of the old things in our life is doing things my way and having it my way. And I'm not going there and I'm not doing that if it's not how I like it. And really, Christianity is not about that. Can the church say amen? So let's find some words now. We're going to the good side now. Let's find some words to describe our living faith in Jesus Christ. He's the one who did everything for us. You might look at Jesus and say, well, he was an individualist. Look at him. He wants all the glory. He wants all the honor. Well, in being God, he has a right to that. But he gave up of everything. He held nothing back to save the church to bring in salvation, to bring a sacrifice for our sin. He held absolutely nothing back. And when we look at his life, certainly when we talk about in Ephesians 4 that, that it says till we come to the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ, I don't know how to give like he gives. I don't know how to do the things that he did. But he's my great example, and so I'm looking towards him. God put those things that you did and you had in your life physically, begin to put them in my life so that I get rid of all being myself and doing my thing and the individualism that I am born and raised in. Let me get some words here. I'm going to come to a first word, and it's found there in that 42nd verse of that text. Koinonia. Does everybody know what koinonia is? It's a Greek word that means partnership, usually translated as fellowship, but that's not enough. Partnership. How many has ever been partners in a business? Is there anybody here that's been partners? We've got a few that's been partners in a business. You're together with the partner in the business venture, and you're on his team. And I'll tell you why. If he wins, so do you. If he loses, so do you. And so you're partnering together. This is a picture of the church. We are partners. We are joint heirs together, not separate. We all individuals, we all live, I don't know. 
No, no, I'm, I'm not talking about that this morning. What I'm talking about is koinonia. I'm talking about partnering together for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the cause of the local church. Unity and oneness. Let's talk about unity and oneness for just a second. And they're the same word. They're found there in the early uh, fourth chapter of Ephesians where it talks about we keep the oneness of the faith. We keep the unity of the faith. What do you think unity is? It's people who have bonded together. People who have taken their lives and come together. And it goes even further than that. We become oneness. And Jesus said, make them one. Make them one in his prayer. Because it's you and I need to come together in such a way that we're on the same team and we're going the same direction. And we're going to provide for each other. We're going to help each other. We're going to lift each other because we have got one mission as a church. And that is to minister to all of us together so that the whole body joined together will become that creation in Christ. Let me give you another word in the church that is an antithesis to individualism. Honor. 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 And it's a word that God has given to the church to honor. Honor each other. He's given it to the family. Honor. Husbands and wives honor each other. He's given it to the ministry. Honor those which give the word out. And, and maybe that's hard because we want to be honored and, and we want to be glorified. But it's hard to give it to somebody else. But it is the way God has done in the church. Respect and respecting the things of God. Individualism doesn't respect. Individualism has no boundaries to it. It goes as far as it wants to go, but respect has boundaries and says, no, I'm not going there. I'm stopping way short of that because I respect. There's some things that I will not defile. What about submission? What about submission? God, I don't like that word. I don't like to submit because of individualism. I've been taught not to submit. And then the word of God gets to us and God saves us and God gets a hold of us. And he says, listen, now you're going to start submitting now. You've been the big guy. Now you're going to come in as the little guy. Unless you come in as a child, you can't even enter the kingdom of God. It's going down. It's not going up. It's going down. You want to get great in the kingdom of God, what do you do? You become servant you become submissive you become one that hears one that is that is that is part of that group that says lord if you say it then god make it real in my life i submit to it what about selfless giving selfless giving should that be part of us as people in the church when individualism says i don't need to give i don't need to give listen i'm going to tell you this if any one person stops giving in this church, it's still going to go on. And, and the only one that will suffer because of that is that person. You need to give. People need to give. It's a design of God to give. It's not given to, I don't care how much you give. For 25 years, I have limited myself so that I don't overrun the, the good of the church. And I limit myself to what you would call, if that's all I had, you would call that poverty. Because I don't want to overpower the church. The, 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 the Pentecostal church of God, which we were in for years, says, hey, the pastor gets all the tithes. Let me tell you something. If the pastor got all these tithes, we wouldn't own this church. We wouldn't have anything. But I limited myself, and I'm not trying to brag on myself, but what I'm trying to say is that that selfless 
giving is really the design of God, not the pastor coming in seeing how much I can get, seeing how much I can take from the church. And thank God I am blessed. I've got stuff, but it didn't come from here. But thank God that he is faithful to those who give selflessly to the kingdom of God. He will not be in your debt. God is a debtor to no man. There's a song that said you can't beat God giving. The more you give, the more he gives to you. So keep on giving. Don't keep giving because, hey, man, I'm just real trying to make people fat. I, I just want to I just want to make the church look like it's some kind of a great being. Listen, you give because you need to give. You need to learn how to give. You need to learn how to tithe. Somebody say amen. You need to learn how to open that pocketbook up and it says, no, be an individual. Collect for yourself and do good for yourself. And then God says, no, for the kingdom, for the kingdom's sake, for the gospel's sake, I'm going to give. And I'm going to give and give and give. Well, that right there would, would preach a little, huh? Loyalty, loyalty to the body, loyalty to Christianity, loyalty to our Lord. It's just one of those words that, that just fits in with what God has designed in the church. It's just one of those things that makes me, you know, we, we can look at, like I said, patriotism is almost dead in the government. It's almost dead in the church too. And I'm not talking about the stars and stripes now. I'm talking about loyalty to the things of God in alignment and adhering to the word of God. Listen, all these things fly in the face of individualism. It rubs us wrong. Immediately it rubs us wrong because, because we are individuals. But I want to go back now to Acts, second chapter, 42nd verse. The first thing God did, can everybody say with me, the first thing. He took a newborn Christian, 47th verse, somebody that was just born again, fresh, brand new. What did he do for them? Plugged them into the church. There's a reason for that. A newborn Christian without oversight, without help, encouragement, strength, and the things that come in a, in a church are going to have a very, very difficult time even overcoming in their life. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've known a lot of people that have walked out of the house of God and said, I don't need church anymore. I, I've, I've known a lot. And it was almost a feeling of euphoria. I know a certain woman that said, I've never been so close to God as since, I, since when I left church. And I'm like, wow. Boy, that seems to be going all the wrong direction. The first thing God ever did for new Christians, put them in the church. Because I'm going to tell you something about the church. You get a new Christian, you put them in the church, that church is going to begin to watch over them. 
That church is going to begin to pray with them. And they run into things in their life and that church is going to build them up. And they're going to learn there and they're going to grow there. And they're going to get stronger in their faith and walk in the Lord. Because God knew the first, the best thing, the best thing he could do for new Christians is plug them in to this ecclesia that is just fresh and new but is beginning to exist. It's beginning to come together. The thing the Lord said, I will build me my church. It was the best thing and is the best thing that a born-again person can be a part of is the church. Thank you, Lord. Well, you know, maybe you just say that because you're a pastor. I say that because before I ever pastored. For 39 years before I ever pastored, I was in church every Sunday and every Wednesday, save just a few. There's only been a few times in my life I didn't, I wasn't in church, and I don't even remember those. Because it's the best thing God can do in your life. Oh no, man, I just I just need to be just be filled and and if I could speak it to no, 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 hang on, hang on just a second. God didn't expose him to that until he put him in the church. It was designed by the architect of the kingdom of God. The church is designed by the author and the finisher of our faith. He knows your faith is going to have a hard time lasting if you're not collected with the people of God. He knows that you're going to get discouraged. He knows that you're going to run into problems in your life. And so he invests those people into the kingdom of God and the church. So I want to look at the four basic operations of the church, and then we're going to eat the Lord's Supper here in a bit. In the 42nd verse, if you just turn there and and, and kind of go down this with me. Acts 2.42. And they were continuing steadfastly. And then it says four things they were continuing in. I would say that each one of these four things in individualism you would not continue in. That's why it's the antithesis of individualism. In the teaching of the apostles. Now you say, well, Pastor, you know, the apostles are gone. I have the teaching of the apostles in my hand. (laughs) So, well, man, if they came back, you know, we'd really listen to them. If you wouldn't listen to what they say here, you wouldn't listen to them in person. So we have the teaching of the apostles. Every Sunday... Every Sunday night, every Wednesday, we come to the house of the Lord, and what happens? We get the teaching of the apostles, and we are going to continue in the teaching of the apostles. They continued steadfastly in it, and we're not changing out for something else. I'm not going for the newest scheme. I'm not going for the newest doctrines. I'm not going for the newest wave, the newest Pentecostal wave. I'm not going for the, for the jumping in the river and floating downstream. With, I'm not doing any of that. What I'm going to do is stay steadfast, steadfast, continue steadfast. And that doesn't mean 
2021, it means for the rest of the time we have on earth, we're going to stay steadfast, continuing in the apostles' doctrine and teaching. It's the thing that will keep us right. Can you say amen? It's that scripture that will guide us and move us and correct us and and doctrine of the Lord. What is it good for? Teaching and and it is good for for correction in our life. It's good for for inspiration in our life. God's word is going to fit that bill. If we'll listen to it, it's going to work in our life. Can you say amen? The second thing the early church did, koinonia. I already talked about that a little. Partnership. We come together and we kind of set a time limit on before our services. And this is awesome. And you might think you're just standing around talking to folks. But you're really in koinonia. You're just investing your life with other people. It may be about your job. It may be about what you're doing recently. It may be about a lot of things. But you're, you're literally investing yourself into the other people. And that koinonia, it draws us together. And then we take that little 15 minutes. You say, about 15 minutes, what's that going to do? Well, you multiply that by about 1,000 times. That's a lot of time. And we do it every service. And we say, how are you doing today? How's everything going for you? And somebody will be, I, I hear some of them will be testifying over here. Somebody will be talking about their job. Somebody will be talking about a number of different things. But we are just investing ourselves with each other. That's koinonia. That's we become a part of each other. We, we become a viable member in the body of Christ and members one of another. Can you say amen? Koinonia is so important that the early church developed this under the inspiration of the Lord and under the directions of the apostles. They, they developed this thing called koinonia, this fellowship, this partnership together. Because listen, when you're in a country where they're coming after you, when you're in a country where they want to allow you to worship, the group that, that is holding faithful, they are going to hold each other's hands up. They're going to care for the individuals that are in that body so that they all come together as one. And, and in, in persecution, it looks like koinonia becomes stronger to me. It looks like that, that in countries around the world that are persecuted, it just seems like when they gather in a small group, they are so happy, so satisfied, so overjoyed to be in the congregation with each other in koinonia. And then we have the breaking of bread. That's the third thing, the breaking of bread. Early church. It wasn't far away. It hadn't been too long since Jesus sat with his disciples. And he broke bread with them. This breaking of the bread is not really sitting around eating potluck dinner. This is the breaking of the bread. It's the Lord's Supper. Let me tell you what the Lord's Supper does. It causes all of us to be of one bread. And of one cup. All of us drink the same cup. All of us eat the same bread. We all become one in this thing that Jesus laid down, the remembrance of his death until he come. And we all become one in that. And then finally, number four is in praying. It's in praying. 
They followed the teaching of the apostles. They had koinonia. They had the Lord's Supper. And they prayed. I believe in prayer. Can you say amen? Now listen, I don't believe in prayer for prayer's sake. If I pray a certain amount, I'm going to have a certain degree of power. I don't believe that. But what I do believe is that that's our connection with our Lord. Is down in prayer. Connecting with the one who is higher than we are. Connecting with the one. Bringing our needs. Bringing our stuff to him and saying, Lord, it's again, I'm humbling myself down. I can't do what I need you. And prayer has been going on in the church for 2,000 years and will continue because it's set up by God. Can you say amen? I'm glad we can pray. I'm glad we can get down and say, Lord, here I am and I have some needs. And the Lord is going to hear our prayers. Hallelujah. Now, how the church has devolved, let me touch that for just a minute. Here's where the church has devolved to. The undoing of the scripture, instead of adhering to, standing steadfast in the teaching of the apostles, now the scripture is being torn apart. And we talk about this a lot on the way to work, Rodney will read a thing, that people now, pastors and preachers, are doubting that the word of God is accurate. They're doubting that the word of God is right. Because we know better. We're, we're removed. We're in a different place now. We understand the Word of God better than the writers of the Word of God. And it really becomes ridiculous, but it's the undoing of the influence of Scripture in my life. And I don't want that. I want to connect to the Scripture in my life. I don't want to undo it out of my life. I want to stay in that teaching of the apostles. And then secondly, individualism has replaced koinonia. Get in a church of 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 people. And the problem there is that you know nobody. You're not connected. I wonder if the Lord even ordained that kind of thing anyway. When they had that group come in, they went house to house to house. And they were going and teaching and breaking bread house to house trying to reach everybody. Because, listen, it's not about coming to church and being an individual in church. It's about koinonia. And then we've replaced, we've replaced the humility of who we are as a church to magnificent buildings, glorious edifices. When we know the early church had none, they had zero. They were going house to house. They didn't even have a place to meet. It was many years before they ever started building for the government would even allow them to build tabernacles. And they had none. And then finally, and I've got to hit this because you wonder now what the draw is to the church. It's not the apostles' teaching. It's not koinonia. It may be the buildings. They look nice. But really, the big draw to the church is music. I love music. How many here loves music? I'll tell you something. God loves music. But let me tell you something else. There was no music in the early church. 
but there was a presence of God that filled the place until they were overflowing until their meetings people were touched and healed and delivered music had nothing now the big draw of a church is what is their music like I think we've turned this thing all around and God's trying to get us back to a place where you don't come to listen to music that at best music is about worshiping our Lord at best we do a good job we try and do our best and we try and sing praises unto God but don't come to church for music's sake my goodness the world is doing that the world is putting on a show the church doesn't need to put on a show what we need to do is get back to the place of the early church when the spirit of God was in the house changing lives and molding and making us individuals before him amen would to God the church had not escaped the principles that were laid down early. Would to God that would not have happened. It has, for a large part. And so what do we do? Do we correct the world? We don't correct the world. We just work right here. We've got a local church and a local people, a local koinonia, And I love this people. I love this people that God has collected together. Can you say amen? The Lord's design and gift for his followers, this gift that that Jesus gave, was the local church. People are looking for the promise of God and they miss this one. Ephesians 4. Before he ascended on high, he gave gifts. What did he give? Ministries. Why? For the church. It's what he's doing. No wonder he said, I will build me my church. That's what he's doing. Put that thing up there if you can. And I just, you know, this don't be mad at the artist here. <laughs> don't, don't, it's no reflection of my, you know, artistic abilities, right? But would to God we stay under the Ecclesia umbrella. I know sometimes it's difficult because we're individuals and God is calling us. You know, as the days go on, and I don't know if you understand this, but things aren't getting better in government. So we kind of got this utopic idea in our head that, man, we're just going to go back. I'm wondering if we'll ever go back to the way things were. And so what does it do? It sends a message to the church. Now is the time to reach a little deeper. Can you say amen? I don't turn loose of more. No, I attach myself. And so I drew this ecclesiastic umbrella. So here it is. Here's the rains coming down. And, and so you got the protection from the rains of false doctrine and heresy and, and uh, you know, rains of individualism. It's all going on out there. And, but under that umbrella and just under the umbrella, not anywhere else, 
just under the umbrella of the ecclesia. It's the only place. You have a certain covering and protection. It starts out with our Lord Jesus Christ. He made the umbrella. He made the church. Set it up. Ordained it. Defined what would happen in the church. Sets this thing up. And then he gave some apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers and pastors. And so if we go down in, I could call it rank, I guess, just going downward. We got the Lord who remains on high and everything. But he gave some, some ministry to the blessing. And then, then we go down and we got elders and deacons in the church. And then, you know, we could expand it even further and say we've got works and governments. Paul did that. We've got all kinds of things that go on in the church. But finally... It is for one specific reason, all of it. All the teaching, all the preaching, all the stuff we do, the building, the finances, everything is for one central cause and reason, and that is the body of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Can you say amen? And so, so what happens when we stay under the umbrella is the covering, the protection. And this is the beauty of the house of God. It's a beauty. That's not to say you can't come to church and get out of sorts, you know. that People do that. I understand that. But if you stay under that covering, I'm going to tell you what. You've got protection. You've got the Lord himself protection. You've got ministry protection under that. You've got elders in the church protection under that. You've got the body who is around you to help you and to guide you and keep you. And listen, in this body, I, I don't know if times may get rough. They may get hard. They may, may be tough sometimes where even people can make it financially. And even the early church began financially to help each other. It said that no one, no one had anything of their own that they weren't willing to give to the cause of the body of Jesus Christ. And I wonder about that. Are we willing to do that? Times may come that way where you have to quit being an individual looking for your own dream and say, God, I'm going to help the church. I'm going to help this person. I'm going to make sure that they make it through. God, give us, I pray, in our heart that vision to see each one in our congregation will make it by the grace of God, by the encouragement of the ecclesia, that we all may come together to the fullness of the knowledge and the stature of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I know sometimes we'll preach to the choir. But even the choir needs to hear it now and then. Right, Heather? Right, Debbie? I mean, once in a while, the choir's got to hear it. They're getting a little bit out of sorts, you know. But we all believe that. Would you just take the hand of the person right next to you right now? I just feel like doing this. We're just going to pray over this whole body. Lord, the body fitly joined together is going to serve your purpose. Whatever determination you have for this church, Lord, whatever you have designed, that's what we want in this place. But most of all, Lord, we want to help each other, encourage each other, be at the aid of each other. Invest 
ourselves into one another. We ask you, oh God, that you just bless this congregation. Great people whom we love and we thank you for, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Rodney, would you come and pray? Yes, give the Lord a hand clap. Dustin, Brother Isaac, would you come? Yes, music if you'd come. And uh, Brother Dustin, Brother Austin, would you help us now? I've got those over there. Brother Aaron, I've got those over there, and then, I, then we have uh, this bread. And I am intrigued by this. For years, I know um, places that want to use unleavened bread, right? And so they use crackers, tortillas, um, a variety of different things. But we have come upon a place that now um, some of the people in the church, I think last time we used Sister Sarah's, this time Heather, um, we have an unleavened bread that is leavened. But there's just no leaven in it. These guys were cooking that, so that solved the problem. So you believe the other church should have just used regular bread? We're good. If you believe they should have used unleavened bread, we're good. So we're going to pass out that bread this morning and that cup of the Lord. And um, tell our kids, somebody tell the kids and bring them in. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Would you pass out, brothers? That washes white as snow.
Scripture to don't eat the Lord's Supper unworthily. And what he means by that, if you don't want to be a part of the body of Christ, don't partake of the body of Christ. So, well, I've had some errors in my life. Well, it's a good time for you to get those straightened out right now. This cup won't do it, but the blood of Jesus Christ will do it. Faith in Him alone. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. We just bless you now, Jesus. We bless you, Lord. So we like to pray in the breaking of the bread. The Lord prayed over the bread, and then He prayed over the cup. And we're going to ask Brother Aaron to pray over the bread this morning. Hallelujah. Lord, we just we honor you today, Lord. We thank you for your sacrifice you gave unto us, Lord, as an example, Lord. It's the way of healing. It's the way of your church, Lord. We bless you today, and we thank you, Lord, for sacrificing your body. Lord, what else, what less could we do, Lord, for you than offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to you, Lord? And we just thank you today, and we bless you, and we would be nothing without you, and we are nothing without you, Lord, and we bless you today, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen seat of that body of the Lord together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the broken body. Put very aptly in that prayer just now. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for the broken body. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And that cup representing the blood of our Lord. blood he said without shedding of blood there is no remission of sins God and I'm thankful that your blood is applied to our life by faith Lord and that water doesn't have anything to do with it but it is your blood that washes away sins God and my faith placed in that blood this morning God we we join together with 2,000 years of brothers and sisters who have placed their faith in you who have taken of the cup representing your blood and the washing of the sins from our lives and we give you all the praise Jesus amen
Amen. Let's continue steadfastly. Take that cup this morning. Amen. Now it's time to stand to our feet and bless the Lord a little bit.